championship teams, good teams, are those teams that are able to combine um, in a particular season the right coaching with the right players, and then there's the right circumstances, and a couple of times, surprise, surprise, it goes their way, and next thing you know, they're the champions. That's a good team. Great teams are different. Great teams love to be reminding or love to remind us that they're, they're not just a, a, kind of the blessings of their circumstances. No, there's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of dedication. This wasn't a one and done kind of a scenario. No, this whole organization is geared and, and ready to have a championship, not season, but a championship team every season. You've probably heard it said that these great teams, as opposed to those good teams that sometimes come up and then sometimes go down, but those great teams never really have to go through that rebuilding phase. They don't rebuild. They what? What have you heard? They reload. We don't rebuild. We reload. Essentially what they're saying is their pipeline of player development or coaches or those that are in the head office, I mean, their, their whole organization is like fine-tuned and geared and ready so that the championship season wasn't just the aligning of the stars. No, it's just what we do here. And what we are going to experience this morning as we kind of re-encounter the book of Acts is an addition to the, uh, the, 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 the player development squad of the church. And I just couldn't help but think, as, as Paul now is about to stand front and center, that Luke really isn't, hear me, he, he's a friend of Paul. He is very much grateful for the ministry of Paul. But the way Luke arranges the material, it, it's like Paul is a great person, but he's not what the story's about. Conversion stories, and this is one of the most famous conversion stories, can kind of have an effect on us. Have you ever heard a conversion story where somebody tells about how they came to faith and you just think, wow, my life is terrible. I'm just a regular person. I don't have any story like that at all. Saul's story kind of can do that to me sometimes. I read this story and he's on his way and he's an enemy of the church and He's this terrible person and then Jesus appears in bright light and he's blinded and has this vision and it's Jesus in this encounter and then he becomes this great pillar of the church. That's actually more of how we have reinterpreted Paul than the way Luke describes him. I was amazed as I looked at the text just how little time Luke describes the encounter. Luke makes it very clear that Paul is an enemy of the church. He is ravaging the church. Luke makes it very, very clear that Jesus is the one who encounters him. So, so by the way, this isn't like a metaphor for Saul's long journey into the night of trying to understand his identity and purposes and him feeling guilty for being there at Stephen's. No, no. It's as the story is described. Saul, an enemy of the church, a persecutor of the church. Luke uses the word persecute 
more in connection with Saul of Tarsus than anybody else in the book of Acts. He uses that word to describe the life and the ministry of Saul of Tarsus. This isn't the first time we hear about him. No, he's already been talked about. He was the one that was there giving approval to the death of Stephen. And then he kind of disappears. And then he appears in 9. And then he kind of disappears. And then he comes back at the end of 11. And and the rest of the book of Acts really does focus on the Holy Spirit's work in the calling and the sending and the ministry of Paul and of his companions. But I I deeply believe Luke would, would interrupt my message if he were here and say, please don't make this about him. I think Paul, if he were here, would literally say, please tell me. I, I, I haven't heard the message yet because I don't, I don't have the app, he would probably say, right? I don't have the, the, phone, the iPhone to do it. I just, I, please tell me when you told the story of my conversion, you didn't make me the centerpiece. And I think Jesus would be the one to remind me that the only great thing about Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the great apostle Paul, is that I encountered him on that road and I revealed myself to him and I changed everything I think that's what Jesus would say see that's good for us to remember as we get back into the book of Acts as we try to understand what our life and ministry is like in the shadow of the book of Acts because sometimes There can even be books written like this. Can you imagine if we were just like the church in Acts? Can you imagine if we were just like the New Testament church? And that that, that sounds actually great in a book, but the Bible itself doesn't lift up the church like that. The Bible speaks very accurately and truthfully about a church that sometimes gets things great and sometimes... Ananias and Sapphira got together and they conspired and they died. That kind of church, that's the one we want to be like? Like the Corinthian church, that's the one we want to be like? The one that is sexually immoral? Or how about the church in Ephesus that forgot its first love? Is that the one that we're supposed to be like? I love the words of the Apostle Paul who draws our attention back like Luke is drawing our attention back to the real mover and shaker in the book of Acts. Jesus says it this way in Acts chapter one, speaking to his disciples. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you, right? There is a you, there is an us in the story. And then you will be my witnesses when my spirit empowers you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea And to the ends of the earth. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we can forget at church who and what this is really all about. I love the fact that Luke's makes it very clear that there are different players in God's mission. That kind of keeps us all in check, doesn't it? Because churches can rise and fall on the personality of a, of a preacher or a worship leader. The churches can rise or fall. You know, I'll tell you, that first sermon that Peter preached, that was awesome. That was amazing. 
Man, the way that he just so clearly and accurately presented, that's what I loved about him. He didn't tell all these crazy stories. He just got to the point. That Peter, he, he, he got it. And that's really not what Luke's wanting to draw us attention to. You know, Philip, what I loved about him was he, he was someone who would chase chariots. That's what we've forgotten as a church. And if we just chase chariots, then you know what? If, if we're just more like Philip, you know what, if we, if we somehow could just be like Peter and John in Acts chapter four, that in the midst of persecution, in the midst of difficulty, if we could just be like stand strong and stand true and be brave like them, man, then, then we would be, if we could just be the kind of church that offered the same love and care, read Acts chapter two or Acts chapter four at the end of those chapters about how the church community just gathered together and loved on one another and care, if we could just be I've, I've thought all of those things. I've tried all of those things. And I love how the book of Acts says, sure, Peter is a player and Matthias is picked in chapter one and Philip shows us how to do some really amazing chasing chariot kind of evangelism in, in chapter eight. And I mean, there's all these amazing things that are happening. Look, <laughs> numerators and denominators. What, what's the one common underneath all of those things? What's the foundation underneath all of those things? What, what holds all of those things together? His name is Jesus. How do we forget that? That's why I love the fact that the way the, the, the Bible, the New Testament is put together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. These gospels, the stories, um, the, the, the recounting of the life and the ministry of who Jesus Christ is, is the foundation upon which the book of Acts and then all the letters to those churches rest. Luke chapter five, verse 27. Jesus does something which he just, this is what Jesus loves to do. Jesus never asked, I love to remind people, Jesus has never asked me for my opinion about his church. Jesus never came down and said, hey, by the way, I'm thinking about this guy. I really, I really, have you seen this person? I think there's this, one, there's this one young lady over here. And Jim, have you considered, Jesus never does that. He never, he's never asking my opinion. The Jesus that exists today is just like the Jesus of old. And he goes wherever he chooses and he calls whoever he will, and he encounters, and he wins over, and he sustains whoever. That's a good reminder at the beginning of 2019. That the next, I like to break it up, in the next 365 days-ish, as much as we, I, might plan and try to figure out, but it's he is the one who, who is leading. He is the one who is directing. He is the one who is calling. Not, not, not me. Not us. And there are different players in God's mission, and Acts chapter 9 is one more of those. In Luke chapter 5, verse 27, I love, I love this statement because this is how Jesus would encounter people of surprising origins. As you probably know, he selected fishermen and he selected a zealot and he just selected people. We don't even know what they did. Like it's like it didn't even matter. 
It's like the one calling them was more important than their background, more important than their education, more important than their gifts and abilities. Was the one calling them. We forget that, don't we? More important than your gifts and abilities is the one who called you. And Jesus, it says, after this, he, Jesus, went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. Tax collector, well, what is he gonna do? You know what we would do? We we would probably go, well, he's probably good with numbers. He could work in our accounting office, (laughs) right? I, I don't think, it's so interesting how we so pigeonhole, like, what God is gonna do and where God is gonna do it and who God is gonna do it with. And even, even in my own life, there's this tax collector, his name is Levi, at least it was Levi, it's gonna change, sitting in a tax booth and he just said to him, follow me. Short, to the point. And, and, and Levi just went, Okay. <laughs> I, I think there's more that's going on, to be honest with you. But, but Luke doesn't want to get distracted in the details of the conversion story and, and miss the point. Because you, what you and I would do, you and I would go, I wonder how Jesus did it. We should do it just like that. Right? It's exactly what we would do. We would look at these and we would try, we'd write books about this is exactly how we should do it. Because we believe that like conversion and transformation and success is a procedure. And if you and I can just figure out and how to, if we could just know how to retrace what, what happened in the New Testament, then somehow we could create exactly what was happening before. And we would never say this, but we sometimes act as like, and we don't even need discernment or the Holy Spirit. We've got a plan. And I love the fact that out of nowhere comes a man named Saul who is ravaging the church. And Luke goes, yeah, he's, he's the next one. One of many. So let us celebrate. Let us look back and forward in 2018 and the years previous and then forward and, and just humbly admit to ourselves for a moment that it is by the grace of God that you and I are here and that by his grace, the direction and the dynamic of this very room will change. And I promise, I see a number of elders in the room, we're gonna, we're gonna plan and we're, we're, we're gonna pray and seek God's direction and make decisions. We're gonna do all of those things. I just pray as a Former elder used to remind me all the time because I really can be excited about plans. And this brother would just say to me constantly, please, please, please remember Jesus is not a consultant for our mission. But he is the reason for, the sustainer of, the end object of everything that we say and do around here. Do you get that? Do you see how important that is? There are different players that exist in God's mission. The second thing that we see in in Acts chapter nine is again the fact that Jesus is that one common denominator. Jesus is the one thing that is absolutely central. Now, the reason why I wanna restate that is because it is so easy for us to get trapped or lost in things that are lesser than the great savior. 
that are lesser than, a, a mission that looks at him and focuses on him and desires him and is sustained by him. That the good sometimes that we pursue after when we make it the final thing, the end product, then we, we sacrifice truly the, the reason behind and the foundation of all things. And I don't think that, that we're the first ones to wrestle with this. I, I think so much of what the church wrestles with today, they've always wrestled with. That's why I think the great speeches in the book of Acts are not just meant so that we might have some information, but it's almost like they're telling the story to themselves over and over and over again. Um, it's just like I hear people tell me sometimes, like, thank you for that message, preacher. And I like to remind people that I was I was speaking to me. Like, I have to deal with this too, you know. And this is what happens in the book of Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, and notice how that at a moment where there is success, thousands of people getting baptized, where there is persecution, the temptation to begin to change ministry and mission to try to avoid a difficult opposition... What does Peter and John, what do they do? They, they restate in very powerful and clear terms what it's all about. Verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man is standing before you well. See, they, they came upon this man who could not walk. And Peter said, you know the story, I don't really have anything for you, like money, but what I do have for you, I give you in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And they're all amazed. And Peter says, listen, I, I know that, because what, what we're about to do, if, if we're not careful, is we're going to go back and like create a healing ministry at our church. And it's going to be all about healing. Which, by the way, healing's a wonderful thing. But if we, don't, if we don't stay on task, if we don't remember who it is that is encountering Saul of Tarsus and Philip, who is the one who is sustaining Stephen, whether he is feeding those that need to be fed or he is challenging those who need to be confronted, his name is Jesus. He's the one doing all of this. And so Peter is preaching to himself and to everyone else, just in case we somehow could think that this church is about our ministries or this church is about our personalities or if the church is about our success, let me tell you, all of those things find their strength and meaning and purpose in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And the players are going to change. And the ministries are going to change. We have a ministry that goes out and hunts together. Group of guys go up and they go hunt. I guarantee you that didn't exist back then. Think of all of the ministries that we have now that never existed. That should remind us many of these ministries won't exist in the future. What's the one common denominator? Jesus. Never forget that. Verse 11, this Jesus... <laughs> is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Not our, not our compassion ministries, not, not, our, not our life groups, because I, I mean, I get it. I mean, I, I so want to make my little group and how we love each other the cornerstone. No, 
all we are is one tiny little outpost pointing at the one who called and sustained us. Jesus is the cornerstone. Beginning of 2019, it's good for us to remember that. Jesus is the cornerstone that we all build ourselves on. Verse 12, why? Because there is, no, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I, I, see, I need these reminders. Because if not, I, I can become not just infatuated with really successful things or overwhelming, troublesome things. I, I can just be just distracted just by everyday life. And Peter reminds us, it's, it's Jesus. There's, there's no one else. You, you do know there are, there, are, there are outposts of community and love and care that, that, that do a lot of what we do. I, I remember reading the story of a, of, a, of a woman that ended up coming to, she came to Christ. Her name was Rosaria Butterfield. If you have not had a chance to know about her ministry, it's amazing. She was a professor at Syracuse University. A lesbian. And absolutely devoted to her way of life and her way of thinking. And she came to Christ. And then she said, you know, the church can learn a lot from a community that is burying its own to this dreadful disease called AIDS. What? What do you mean the church has something to learn? What do you mean? See, there are communities that love and care just like we love and care. We don't have the corner on that market. We could actually even, are you ready for this? Learn from others. But Rosaria points out, but the basic and the fundamental difference between the community that I was in, which was loving and caring and had a lot of good things about it, and the community that I am in now, the biggest difference is Jesus. And actually, he changes everything. See, that's a shocking word. That's a powerful word. It's like Peter and James and John and now Saul of Tarsus need to be reminded of a very powerful verse in Scripture that John records, John 14, 6. It's one of those ones, John 3, 16. John 14, 6 is one of those ones. As I begin to read it, you'll go, oh yeah, I know that one. See, they had to ask this question as people came to faith, what it was that led them and overpowered them. And it was the words of Jesus himself who said, John records it, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The disciples, the apostles, the church leaders understood that. And therefore, they were looking to Jesus to be the one to guide them and sustain them. They weren't looking for an organization or for a way of thinking. They were literally looking to the one, and his name is Jesus. And it would do us well to remember that in every aspect of our lives together or our lives individually. For our lives as families, for us as married couples, to just recognize just the value and the cornerstone 
component, which his name is Jesus. And to recognize the difference between the natural development and outpouring of the Holy Spirit in us and the lives we live and the way that we care about one another and the way that we minister to the world and the foundational belief of who Jesus Christ is. I think a lot of us can, even in our own lives, can, can kind of believe that, that how Jesus operates or how he works, even in the book of Acts, is he starts it up and then he just lets it go. Maybe how we even view God in the Bible, that he made this world and then decided, okay, we'll just let it work its way out. That's not the picture of the God of the Bible. And it's not the picture of Jesus in the book of Acts. Jesus doesn't just give it a real good push at the start and it's gonna roll downhill and I'll come back and kind of clean up the mess at the end of time. That's not how Jesus is operating. To say that Jesus is an active player in God's mission is true, but it's an understatement. But I think sometimes we forget that. So how did, how did Saul even come about to be this huge, in our minds, this pivotal figure in Christian history? Watch any kind of documentary on the church and they, they almost consider Paul to be the, Peter and Paul, but even more so Paul, to be the thinker, to be the mover, to be the shaker. Do you really think there was like a, like a church meeting? Hey guys, here's what I wanna do. I wanna brainstorm, so don't think any idea is crazy. Just say it. And I'll get the whiteboard out here and we'll just come up with people that we're going to go out and actively pursue in 2019, Okay? So let's, let's, let's just do this. Anybody, anybody got any suggestions? You know, people from our community. Don't just think important people, but uh, who, anybody got a name? Okay, you're gonna think I'm crazy. Uh, I, I know that he was there giving approval at Stephen's death. What about Saul of Tarsus? Um, he's passionate. He's got some skills I can imagine getting used right. Maybe if someone of us, maybe if we became his friend for a while, help them see that, you know, he was been, been pretty mean to people. He should probably stop being mean to people. And then maybe once we kind of get, we could, maybe Peter, Peter could like argue with him. And because he did so well in that last one, right? Is that how it happened? What's interesting is it, it's, it's like the church has no idea this is coming. They have no idea where this is going. It is humbling for me to just stop and to reflect when people ask questions like, okay, so where are things going and what's happening and where do you think the church will be? And I, here, you want to know the embarrassing part? I give them answers like I know what I'm talking about. I don't look at them and go, yeah, I don't really know. I, I come up with stuff. I tell them about our building plan. I tell them about how awesome our pastors are. I tell them about how at Sunnybrook Christian Church, we don't rebuild, we reload. And I forget, I forget just how active Jesus is in our lives and in our ministries. Acts chapter nine, verse four comes like out of nowhere in the life of Saul of Tarsus, 
who who's on his way to Damascus. I still remember the first time that I stood on the, the border in the Golan Heights in Israel, and you can just see it's like an M. It's just this road, and our guide said, oh, by the way, that's the Damascus Road. And I didn't go, oh, whatever. I went, no, right there. Like, is there still like a, a spot of light where Jesus was with Paul? I still remember just looking out there. I think God would say to me, hey, you do realize it wasn't out there. It was me. We all do that, don't we? We're like Peter, James, and John, this great Mount of Transfiguration. We should build some tents. Um, I think you missed Jesus. Verse four, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice the close connection between Jesus and his people. Why are you persecuting me? Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus. And just that alone. I am Jesus. I know you think what you're doing is right. I know you think that I am wrong. And yet, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. There's no way, I cannot imagine a way in which Saul didn't know who Jesus was. I would be shocked if Saul said, when I meet Paul in heaven, he says, yeah, I never actually met him. I never saw him until that road. I almost have a hard time believing that. Jesus was so popular in Jerusalem and in Galilee. The, the Pharisees, which Paul was a part, would gather together and plan against Jesus. I don't know how Saul's not a part of that. It's not like this is the first time he'd ever heard of him. There's something different on this road. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then notice how Luke doesn't go, and then this, and that. arise and go to the city, the one that you think you're gonna do A in, but it's, a, it's gonna totally reverse itself and you'll be told what to do. <laughs> I love that. You go, I know you think you have plans. Um, take those instructions, take those, those orders that you have to put people in prison and just do whatever you want with them because you're not doing that. Either that or put your name on the top of the list, son, because it's a whole new sheriff in town. You know what I mean? Wow. And you'll be told what to do. And the church had no idea about this. They're not ready for this. When Ananias has approached, Ananias freaks out. Listen, I know about this guy. We had a meeting about him the other day. We heard he was coming. Jesus is like, yeah, no, no. You, sure, you can have your little meeting. But while you were having your meeting, I changed him. Verse 15 and 16 of chapter 9, Jesus says this to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now how, how we tell the story is, and did you know that Paul planted more churches? And did you know that Paul wrote more letters? And did you know that Paul trained more people? Sure, all by the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Jesus Christ, his king. That's not what Jesus says is gonna happen to him. See, that, you and I would sign up every, are we famous? I'll take it. Sure, I mean, everyone's gonna know about me? That's awesome. What does Jesus say? We're gonna come back to this over and over again. 
For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul didn't sign up because, man, this is, this is just the way things are going. I don't know if you've heard. Things are trending. I love pulling up on you know, Twitter. It tells me what's trending so I know how to just realign my life. Right? Don't want to be caught. Not in the know. Paul pulls up his Twitter. Oh, Jesus is trending. The church is trending. You and I would sign up for that. This is the reminder in the book of Acts. I'm gonna show this man how much he must suffer for my name. Saul looks at the, the pages in his hand with the names written on them for those that he was going to bind and return to Jerusalem to be persecuted. And he looks down again, and I don't know if you can see it, there's, there's his name. Yep. That's what Jesus does. When Jesus interrupts our plans and our lives, he never asks permission. He just comes and appears and moves. He interrupts your life. Can I just say, be very careful believing that this is like the way conversions happen because it's not the way all conversions happen. Like I, I never had a Damascus Road experience. I, I had a growing up in Toronto, Ontario experience where I just went to church with my mom and dad for about 18 years. Not quite Damascus Road. Never saw a blinding light. Saw a few hockey games, but I never saw a blinding light. And that's how Jesus demonstrated the truth about who he is. I know some of your stories are more exciting than mine. I like hearing them, actually. But every story of genuine conversion, and we'll talk more about this next week, always involves an encounter with Jesus. Not an encounter with a really cool group of people, a real loving group of people, a real caring group of people. Like that may or may not happen, but Paul was not converted by the generosity and the kindness and the compassion of the church. He was not confronted by the, the rational thinking and the arguments of good apologetics. He was confronted by the living Christ. And Jesus himself fundamentally changed everything. Every genuine encounter involves an encounter with Jesus. And then genuine conversion always connects us to God's people and his mission. What we actually see is not Paul going, hey, thank you very much. I love this new salvation thing. Now I'm gonna get on with my life. The apostle Paul, just like we see continually in the book of Acts, takes his life and it then folds into the lives of everyone else. That's why Jesus could say, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. They're my followers, they're, they're my people. So what I wanna ask us to prepare for, to think through, is I want you to spend just a few moments here. Between now and when we gather at the Lord's table, I want you to stop and I want you to think. What was your conversion like? What happened? What what? What began to stir or to move in your mind and in your heart? And by the way, it's okay if you're having a hard time drawing a line, if there's no bright light, knocked off a horse, Damascus, even there's no horse in the story, Damascus Road experience. It, it might be a long, slow journey. 
But it's good for us to stop and ask, how did God get me to this new saving place with Jesus that actually assumes that you are in one? If not, it might be good for you to just reflect on, have I actually ever really trusted Jesus with my life? Am I, am I in a relationship with God through Jesus? When was the last time you just stopped and reflected on your own conversion? And you didn't just give thanks to those who loved you into it or those who argued you into it, but for the Jesus who I pray has just made himself known to you. Heart, mind, body. Second thing is, I want you to reflect on those people that you may be concerned about, but in your mind are far, far, far from Jesus. You can't even imagine. I mean, it's gonna have to be a Damascus Road thing because I don't know how they're ever gonna get saved. I love it when people say to me, oh, you need to meet so-and-so. They're a really good person. Like, they're almost saved already. What does that mean? Well, it means they grew up in Iowa or Kansas or something, you know? They grew up in the Bible Belt. So, like, literally, I mean, they still need Jesus, but they're a really good person already. We'll talk more about that next week. And then there are those of us in our minds, I have some in my mind, I just cannot imagine them getting saved. They seem so far. And it's good for me in moments like this in Acts chapter nine and realize that from Jesus's perspective, there's no one too far. You might think you're too far. You're not too far. The Lord's arm is not too weak to save you. The reality of who Jesus is is as real today as it was back then. And I pray that as you and I don't just stumble through 2019, but as we intentionally follow God's guidance and direction, may we become more aware of the genuine encounter that we have had. And may we continue to believe that there is no one beyond the saving love and power of Jesus Christ. And may you feel right now like a strength and an encouragement from knowing the fact that it's not up to you. That you have a responsibility to witness and to point to Jesus. But he and by himself alone and by his spirit will produce the change. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love and kindness to us and the power that only comes in Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have in him and in him alone. I pray, Father, that the joy that we share would be a celebration of him and who he is. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask our servers um, to come down as soon as they get the trays to come down. And they're going to hand to you a tray that will have the bread and a cup. And I would like for you to take that. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I really want to encourage you to take the bread and to take a cup and to hold it. Um, it represents something very valuable and very important for us as followers of Jesus Christ. It's something that is very tangible. It directs our mind, it directs our thinking, it uh, involves all of our senses. As we celebrate, not just a thing, but a person.
His name is Jesus.